0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: I think the USDA, especially with the quarterly report at the end of the month with the planting intentions, if they do make changes to our domestic numbers, it's kind of being more with a scalpel, um, you know, and then a very small change instead of making any major cuts.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it is a very Monday, Monday indeed. Oh,
2: I am right there with you, Delaney. I set my alarm to wake up at about 7.30 this morning so I could go to the gym and then get my day started. And it did not work out that way. It took all of my might to get out of bed. And I don't think I got out until about 9 o'clock because you had texted me for some network stuff. And so that's when I finally got out of bed this morning. It took all my might.
0: Well, that's nice. I've been up since about 6 o'clock, 6.30 maybe actually, but uh, yeah, actually it's not too bad of a Monday, Ashton. It is finally, we're getting some warm weather here in central Iowa that I think is going to stick around for a little while, so it's starting to feel like spring. I'm getting itchy to plant some flowers or something, which I know it's way too early. It is not warm enough for that yet, unless I'm going to you know haul them in and out every night, and I'm probably not going to do that, so I know I can't get quite this excited yet but i'm just really glad that we're having some spring weather finally well delaney speaking
2: of weather a red flag warning has been issued for parts of northeastern kansas and counties in western missouri because of strong winds and low humidity winds are expected to be sustained from about 10 to 25 miles per hour today with gusts of up to 35 miles per hour and humidity is pegged at around 22 to 27 percent. So wildfires are kind of likely to happen. And due to that wind, it's a little bit difficult to control. And burn bans are likely to be in effect in those counties. So if you do live in eastern Kansas, western Missouri, definitely be on the lookout and, um, I don't know, do anything you can to hopefully stop the, the spread of any wildfires if that were to happen.
0: Yeah, it's that time of year when we got to start thinking about weather-related. Well, I guess we're always thinking about weather-related issues, but specifically those warm weather issues like wildfires, tornadoes, all that stuff's about to start. And, Ashton, while we're on the topic of weather, I'm going to talk about South America here and No Big Surprise for just a few minutes. I was catching up on some commentary that Eric Snodgrass put out. Of course, he's at Nutrient Ag Solutions, and he does Really two times a week, he puts out video content, but he also does daily reports. I was watching his report this morning on both U.S. weather, but more specifically South American weather. And it seems that we continue to see rains happen in some very specific, some very focused areas in South America, more specifically in the Mato Grosso area of Brazil, which is a very, very big soybean producing area for the country. As of last Friday, we saw Brazil report that about 37% of their soybean crop has now been harvested, which was up 26% up from 26% the week prior, but still well behind average for this time of year. Eric was saying that uh, Brazil, specifically this Mato Grosso area, Ashton, got something like a foot of rain Over the past week or so, they're starting to see that slow down just a little. They're going to see about three to four inches of rain here moving forward. But not only is this pushing soybean harvest behind, it's now actually pushing uh, corn crop plantings behind. February really marks the end of the optimum growing window, optimum planting window for the Piranha and Montegrosso area. And so far, they've only seen about 52 percent of the country's corn crop planted compared to 80 percent of the Safrina corn crop planted this time last year. So there's going to be a lot to watch here as we move forward. Of course, we've got a WASDE report coming out tomorrow. It's highly unlikely that they're going to adjust for any South American production issues here. But uh, long term, Eric said that he thinks, especially in Argentina, things are starting to turn around to the point where the NDVI satellite imagery that he watches is pointing to slightly below normal conditions and a uh, worsening crop in many parts of Argentina. So we'll continue to watch this story, Ashton, so folks uh, at home can just tune into the podcast and get a little weather update from us. Really, we should start having a weather segment at this point, Ashton.
2: It certainly sounds like it. I mean, we said this last week, you are in-house weather girl now. So it just makes sense to talk about it probably every day now. But I want to kick things over to China because we've been talking about their claims that their swine herd is kind of vamping up amid African swine fever, but their Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs said earlier today that it's cracking down further on illegal production and sales of African swine fever vaccines, which is causing quite an issue in the swine industry over there. The ministry, which has been warning against these vaccines since 2019, said that tougher measures were needed to prevent hidden risks caused by fake African swine fever vaccines and to ensure the recovery of pig production and the stable development of the industry. Again, you know, China's hog herd is trying to recover from African swine fever, but these illicit vaccines are causing some issues because A certified vaccine against the disease hasn't been approved anywhere in the world, not even just China, but anywhere in the world. But several strains of the live virus with deleted genes thought to protect against the disease are said to be circulating in China. The ministry said that identification and testing must be strengthened and urged local governments to identify any positive samples of the virus and report any strains with artificial gene deletions to veterinary authorities as soon as possible. All localities should increase the punishment of illegal activities related to fake vaccines with any suspected criminal cases promptly referred to the judiciary. Drug companies would be fined by the maximum amount their operation license revoked and people in charge banned from producing veterinary products for life. So Chinese officials are certainly taking these fake vaccines pretty seriously. And I mean, I'm not kind of, you know, any shock behind that, because I I would also hope that if this problem were in the U.S. that we'd be taking it pretty seriously as well.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that they are having to put out, though, basically criminal charges against people if they're doing this, Ashton. Yeah, I think that's really interesting as well. But I mean,
2: from all the news kind of circulating in China's swine industry, I think that it's, you know, no shock that they are taking you know this to such an extent.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point there, Ashton. Well, I'm going to bring things here back to the United States because we've got a few different pieces of news here I want to touch on. The first of which is last week, Ash, and I don't think you mentioned this, so I'm sorry if you did, but we saw at Commodity Classic uh, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack has announced or indicated that CFAP payments will remain on hold for at least the next few weeks. Of course, we saw the Biden administration step in and freeze that first payment right when they took office. And he said that the reason for doing this is that they're still doing an evaluation at USDA to determine precisely what the need is out there how many folks and how many groups and how many organizations and entities within the supply chain need help and assistance and who has received assistance and who hasn't received any assistance. And they're just basically trying to make sure that the funds are going to the correct place. However, Ashton, we also saw some news here just over the weekend heading into Monday morning today, and that is the Senate has over the weekend passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus package on a party line vote. Much of this legislation includes uh, the president's promise of a $1,400 stimulus check. We'll see un- excuse me, extended unemployment benefits, uh, more funding for the Paycheck Protection Program, and a lot of other things for the general economy. But more specifically for agriculture, this bill also provides $10.4 billion towards agricultural provisions designed to strengthen the agricultural food chain, which is various measures here and there. But a lot of it will, actually about 35% of these expenditures will go to the USDA for them to purchase and distribute agricultural commodities and fund what they called COVID-19 mitigation. So now we've seen this legislation passed by the Senate. It uh, pretty closely mirrors the majority of the bill that was originally approved by the House. But this um, significant difference we do see is that the $15 minimum wage was removed from the Senate's version. So now this amended version will get sent back to the House. It's expected to hopefully be signed off on today and could be on the president's desk as early as tomorrow, Ashton. So we could see a new $1.9 trillion stimulus package in place as early as tomorrow.
2: Well, Delaney, I am excited to see if that all goes through tomorrow. So folks, you'll have to tune back in to see if We get any answers to that, but I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Colorado because it kind of is a little shocking to me because Colorado, of course, is home to NCBA and JBS and some other agricultural groups. So when the governor, Jared Polis, signed a proclamation for March 20th to be a hashtag meet out day, I was certainly surprised As was the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, they were quoted as saying, Recently, it has come to the attention of the association that a national movement is spreading across the country and most recently affecting Colorado. A proclamation has been allegedly signed by the governor of Colorado supporting March 20th, 2021, as a meet-out day where citizens are encouraged to not eat any meat products. We are verifying the accuracy of this designation in Colorado, but regardless, this national movement is harmful and falsely critical of agriculture and meat production. Now, this movement is in effort to mitigate climate change and environmental standards, um, which doesn't really... I mean, it comes as a surprise to me that this is such a big movement, but it doesn't come as a surprise as to, you know, the reason behind it. So in effort to kind of challenge the meet-out movement – folks in agriculture are doing a meat-in movement instead. So, folks, if you're wanting to show your support on social media for the beef industry, for the pork industry, you know, just for the um, the meat or protein industry in general, you can do that by using hashtag meat-in on social media. And, um, you know, this month is National Agriculture Month, so I think that it's pretty important that we do uplift those industries right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am also surprised, Ashton, that... Colorado supports a meat out day because you're right, they're a huge beef producing state, beef supporting state. So that's interesting. Meat out. Wait, what was the hashtag meat in? Yeah. So the proclamation is meat
2: out day, but folks are sharing their support for the meat industry with the hashtag meat in.
0: All right. That makes sense, Ashton. Uh, Let's see. Besides that, I don't have a whole lot of news, Ashton, to talk about except for commodity markets. What do you say? I'm all out of news as well, so let's get to it. All right, folks. Well, we saw corn and soybeans. Actually, let me say de corn, But pretty much all soybean contract months touch some fresh highs today, largely rallying around the news of South American weather issues. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment with Brian Split of AgMarket.net. Until then, let's get today's closing market prices starting out here with the march corn contract up three cents today to close at 565 the may up a penny and a half to close at 547 soybeans today as i mentioned they had larger moves today and couldn't quite sustain those larger rallies but still finished higher on the day as the march contract added three and a half cents to close at 1437 and three quarters the may up three and three quarters cents to close at 14.33 and three quarters. Chicago wheat lower today as the March contract sheds seven and a half cents to close at 6.46 and a half. The May down six and a half cents to close at 6.46 and a half. Taking a look at the livestock markets today, mostly green on the screen as we saw the April live cattle contract add 32 and a half cents to close at 119.35, The June up a dollar 15 to close at 1.1915. Feeder cattle today higher as the March contract added 75 cents to close at 135.35, the April up 65 cents to close at 139.67 and a half. And in lean hogs day, the April contract up 12.5 cents to close at 87.30, the May up 20 to close at 89.67 and a half. And taking a look finally at our Class three dairy milk futures. April today, 11 cents higher to close at 17.75. The May up 16 cents to close at 18.30. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Brian Split of AgMarket.net. Well, as promised, very excited today to be joined by Brian Split of AgMarket.net. Brian, thanks so much for joining.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Delaney.
0: I've got to talk here. we got to start out today's markets talking about these fresh contract highs we saw here in both old and new crop beans put in today, Brian, ahead of tomorrow's WASDE report. What the heck is going on? Is this all South America related?
1: I think you definitely have a, a South American element to it. Uh, we've got the anticipation of the WASDE report. So there's a few different factors going on. Uh, We also had energy values up sharply to start uh, Sunday night's trade. That also reversed lower. But uh, right now you've got concerns about uh, the ongoing moisture in certain areas of Brazil that is hampering harvest uh, activity. It is delaying the planting of the safrina corn crop. And so it's a little bit different for us. When we plant late domestically, we are concerned about some of that yield potential being nipped on the back end uh, because of, of a potential early frost. Um, also, that does push pollination back uh, later in the growing season into a time where it's generally a little bit uh, on the drier side in August and potentially hotter. So that's a similar concern of what you would have for the safrinha corn crop in Brazil. is The later that goes in... Uh, that pushes their pollination to a time frame where now the likelihood of getting rain is, is reduced substantially as we get later into their season. So um, this is going to be something where we have to watch it because uh, 2016 Brazil had a problem with their safrinha corn crop and that led to two things. Uh, number one, initially the delayed plantings will lead to a time frame where buyers may need to come to the U.S., similar to how they had to come to the U.S. a little bit uh, more for soybeans because the, the Brazilian bean crop was delayed. So it opened up a little bit of an extra window for demand. But on top of that, if that turns into production decreases, then it turns into a 2016 situation where our exports during spring all the way through the end of the marketing year could be stronger than expected. So this is a very important thing that we need to keep an eye on.
0: So, Brian, is this going to be a bigger story than for the corn markets or the soybean markets?
1: Well, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that because it's a it's a story for both. Um, and I suppose it's really just how it evolved. So this rain right now is there's a region in Brazil uh, within about 100 kilometer radius of Cerezo. And uh, it's just continues to rain there. Um, so just beyond the harvest delays, there's concerns and, and major concerns about the quality of the crop. Um, so, uh, you know, some of these beans are sprouting in the pod. Uh, what is the quality going to be? What's the oil content going to be? Can, are these beans usable? Um, so there could be some, some substantial losses in these regions. Uh, so that's a whole other issue than what we're talking about for corn. Um, now, I think based on the domestic stocks that we've got right now for both, I would say that the soybean balance sheet is tighter compared to the corn count balance sheet domestically. So this whole South American weather issue is important for both markets.
0: Absolutely. Brian, I saw this question. I think I saw this on Twitter. It might have been on Facebook. But a farmer was asking, you know, what if we have one of three scenarios, either Normal yields, which I think you know we've we've kind of priced that one into the markets, hopefully. But what if we have a 10% reduction in yields, 10 to 20% reduction due to weather here in the United States? Because of course our growing season hasn't even started yet. Uh, but then on the flip side, what if we have stellar weather this year and see a 10 to 20% increase in both corn and soybean yields this year? Walk us through those two scenarios and what you see playing out.
1: Well, the 10% reduction is easy. I mean, if we have a 10% reduction in in uh, corn yields, that's going to put our yield closer to 160 bushels per acre, uh, just above 160. And if that's the case, I mean, prices need to go substantially higher than they are right now. Um, we we just have to kill demand in order for the, the uh, carryout to be adequate going into the following year's harvest. Uh, and that goes for corn and soybeans, and you take 10% off of soybeans and you're putting yield uh, down around 45. Uh, You want to start talking 20%, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I don't even want to get into the 20% numbers. It's probably not even that realistic with today's genetics. But on the flip side, I I mean, a 10% increase in yield, I don't know how realistic that is either above trend. I mean, if we're going to talk a 10% increase uh, above trend on corn you're talking yield that's going to be close to 187 uh, ish i don't know is that possible i'm not going to say something is not possible in this market i've been i've learned my lesson too many times but uh, 187 type of a trend line yield especially with the amount of acres that we're going to be planting I, I find that highly unlikely and again i'm not even going to entertain the idea through this conversation of having 20 percent over trend that just seems like a silly thing to even try and estimate right now on corn and soybeans, 10% over trend on, on soybeans is going to put a yield about 55. Our record is 51.9. Um, I don't see this market beating our, our previous record yield by over three bushels an acre, but Hey, if we're going to walk down that road, if we have those types of yields, the market's price too high right now. A lot that needs to happen before we can even think about that as a, as a potential possibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but Brian, the farmer's the eternal optimist, so they got to ask these questions one way or the other, right? Yeah, and
1: so uh, I, I would think if that's your thought process, um, you're probably focused on the wrong thing, honestly. Uh, you should just be sitting here looking at your insurance levels, what type of insurance you have, how much coverage you have, how much of your, your crop that you're going to produce, how much your APH bushels are not covered by insurance. Worry about marketing those and protecting those bushels until we know a little bit more about your crop. Uh, but that's the stuff you need to focus on, not the what if we have 10 or 20% above or below yield. I mean, that's that, that's not part of my thought process at all when I'm marketing anybody's grain.
0: Absolutely. Well, Brian, you mentioned earlier on tomorrow's WASD report. What are your estimates? Are we going to see anything that's going to move the markets at all?
1: Well, we still internally feel that the USDA should have the uh, – the soybean carryout reduced a little bit, still based on the amount of exports. Uh, I mean, we've already shipped a very high percentage of the overall sales. Uh, So it seems like if we do see cancellations, even if we do get cancellations, will it be enough to really change the balance sheet at this point after everything that's been shipped? And the answer to that is probably not. Uh, The reason is because the USDA has already increased imports on the balance sheet. So if we do see cancellations, that will just come off the imports. The import number is pretty high right now. Uh, so all in all, the carryout number probably won't won't move very much based on that. Uh, I think on the corn side of things, same deal. We're expecting the corn carryout number to come down a little bit based on exports. But I think the USDA, especially with the quarterly report at the end of the month with the planting intentions, if they do make changes to our domestic numbers, it's kind of be more with a scalpel, um, you know, and then a very small change instead of making any major cuts. Uh, generally, ahead of these quarterly stock numbers, um, they will let that number come out and then use the April WASDI report to rectify those numbers into the balance sheet. So I think if we do get uh, any changes, it's probably gonna be more, um, how does the market react to any changes to the South American crop? Uh, Does USDA raise the Brazilian soybean harvest? Do they acknowledge anything with the uh, the Brazilian um, corn production? Do they reduce that because of the late plantings? What do they do with the Argentine soybeans? Uh, Those are, I think, going to be the numbers that are the market mover in the short term until we start really getting close to the acreage and the quarterly stocks in a few weeks.
0: Brian, USDA put out some preliminary acreage estimates at their annual Ag Outlook Forum. Do you think those numbers are in line with where we'll actually see acreage for this year?
1: You know, um, I do, and ahead of the February Ag Outlook Forum, those are the numbers that we were using internally on our balance sheets, 92 for corn, 92 million acres, and 90 million for beans. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to argue with those at all. Uh, the concern is that maybe because of where prices are that the numbers may end up higher than that, and so if we end up seeing a 93 or a 94 million acre number for corn, um, you know, if, if soybeans come in a little bit above the 90 million if we start getting the crop in the ground with some good conditions, is that going to be something that will warrant a little bit of a pullback in the, in the market? So that's definitely a possibility. But I think something that's interesting, and maybe looking at the, the soybean balance sheet right now, if, they, if we plant 90 million acres of soybeans, the yield that we need on 90 million acres just to grow the same amount of bushels next year or this this crop year that we're about to plant as the amount of bushels the USDA has on our current balance sheet for whole demand for the year we need a 51.35 yield on 90 million acres to grow the same amount of beans that we are projected to consume this year total so with our record of 51.9 we need a near record crop to produce 4.575 billion bushels and the other way of looking at it is all right well We've only planted 90 million acres of beans once. That was 2017. What kind of yield did we have that year? It was a 49.3. If we have that type of yield on 90 million acres and th- use the demand that the USDA had on the February Ag Outlook Forum, and put your carryout down to 14 million bushels. That's a one-day supply. So to me, bottom line is the market either needs to see some kind of an event that reduces the, the global demand and our demand for U.S. soybeans next year, or we need to plant more than 90 million acres, or we need an above-trend yield. Uh, otherwise, if the USDA is right on demand, one year of production, uh, 90 million with a trend line yield is not going to solve our balance sheet problems.
0: Brian, I mean, that sounds like some pretty bullish news. If we did, uh, didn't did see that 51 in some change bushel yield, what does that do for our new price scenario if we don't see that happen?
1: Well, so right now you're looking at uh, old crop soybeans uh, in this 1440. We made new contract highs of 1460 on the May contract. So right now, uh, if if we don't see the balance sheets really change materially year to year, and our carryout next year is still looking about the same as what the carryout uh, is this year, then new crop soybeans could potentially still be you know about two dollars undervalued year over year if we're just looking at the similar type of a carryout. Um, now, that doesn't take into account what we're seeing in all the outside markets. You know, the rising tide lifts all boats, and that goes in both directions. So uh, the tide coming down is going to lower everything. If we see some kind of an event in a macroeconomic fashion that brings down values across the board, then that will impact soybeans. But soybeans have a lot of work to do right now. I mean, I, in my opinion, it's going to take a couple crops, not just our crop, but we probably need another really good crop out of South America next year in order to to make the market feel comfortable again. I think South America is going to show up. We're probably already buying more acres in Brazil for next year. Um, And so it seems to me that they're going to have another whopper of a a year next year. I would say probably uh, in the mid-130 to close to 140 million ton uh, total production number if they increase their acreage next year and have a good crop. But I don't see us fixing our problems just in one good North American crop this year.
0: Brian, let's switch tracks here and talk the live cattle market. Give us your take there. We are uh, hired today, so that was some good news for cattle farmers. But talking to a lot of them, they're still struggling to make profitable levels with these high corn prices we have.
1: Right. Well, I do think the, uh, the live cattle chart looks constructive. The April contract has uh, uh, what looks to me like a, a major head and shoulder bottom. Uh, last week, we came back down and retested the neckline in that 118.50 area. We saw it hold as support. We saw a little bit of buying off of that level. Uh, when you look at the outside markets, the Dow made all-time record highs today. So I think that is supportive to the cattle market. We're getting more vaccines out there. Uh, the general perception is that as things continue to open up more, people are going to be eating out more. Consumption is going to be good at restaurants. So I think that should be supportive to things. Uh, so I, I'm still looking at a lot of the bad news that the market has felt like it's been dealing with over the last few months, and it has not been able to bring the market uh, off of these upper end levels. And so I think we're, we're taking this bad information in stride, and uh, we're still holding the uptrend. So I, I still look for this live cattle market to, to see some higher levels yet over the next couple of months.
0: Fantastic. Well, Brian, unfortunately, we're out of time. But if folks want to continue chatting markets with you or have got questions, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, you can talk to anybody at agmarket.net at 844 4 ag so 844 My direct line is 815 uh, 665 You can check us out online at www.agmarket.net. And my Twitter handle is at BJSplit.
0: Fantastic. Well, Brian, thanks again for coming on to Chat Markets today.
1: Thanks, Delaney. Appreciate it.
0: Well, again, a big thank you there to Brian Slip for chatting markets with us today, Ashton. Folks, be sure you're following him on Twitter if you're not already doing so. And make sure you're following us on Twitter as well. You can find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.